All right, so we are in our series in Colossians. Uh, so it's the, the title of the series is Jesus, Every Relationship Made New. Uh, we all have relationships. We all have uh, relationships that we need help with. And so that's what uh, the book of Colossians, there's many themes, but really we're trying to look at it through the lens of how does this affect our real lives and, and what we do with real people. I do want to bring your attention, if you have a bulletin, uh, in the middle section, and there's a new section that says thinking it through. And that section there, there's questions in there. So it used to be that that was thoughts from the sermon the week before. But what that is now is just to help you process, go deeper into the passage that's here. Okay, so the, sometimes the questions have to do with kind of the main theme, what we're doing. Other times they have to do with just getting you back in there. Uh, really something great to do is then to take that and discuss it with somebody else whether your spouse or your roommate or your children or somebody at work, discuss those questions. So I want to bring your attention to that. Okay, we are in, we are in verse 24 of chapter 1 through verse 7 of chapter 2, all right? And really what we're talking about today is we're talking about grown-up relationships, okay? I don't know about you, sometimes you, you may hear that still, you know, grow up, right? You know, that's, that seems like the theme, and, and it seems like with kids... Uh, as parents, you may want your kids to grow up, but then when they grow up, you're like, no, will you go back to being little and go back to being that way? But I remember when I was in my early 20s, I started out in ministry as a, as a youth pastor. And so I would take, uh, it, working as a high school pastor, and so we would take students backpacking in the, in the, in the back country of Yosemite, not in the valley, but in the back country up in the, you know, where nobody is for 10 days. We'd do that kind of stuff. We'd we would leave on a Thursday night, drive all night, and go snowboard in, in Utah. Uh, we took kids to Thailand. We took kids to Scotland. Uh, we, we took them all over uh, Baja, Mexico, doing all kinds of stuff. And at the time, I thought that was just totally normal, that people would trust their children to me. Until I was on the way to Thailand, to LAX, and I called my mom to say, hey, if I... I want to remind you, we're going to be in Thailand for a couple weeks uh, with these youth and leaders. And, and my mom started laughing. I said, well, what's so funny? She said, well, I just can't believe that you're the grown-up. <laughs> and then I started to think. I said, I said well, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, this is kind of different uh, that, that I'm the one in charge and doing this. And now that I have my own teens, I'm all over it. Like, I'm like, okay, what, do you guys have... Is everything organized? Is everything taken care of? What is your plan? You know, what is your fail-proof plan? And for everything else. So I can't imagine that people, I can't believe that people did that. But when it comes to growing up, I heard one person say, I'm trying to grow up before I grow old, right? That's, I think that's a good goal in life. I'm trying to grow up before I grow old. Uh, but growing up really has to do with relationships. And Paul dives into showing more about Jesus and showing more about relationships and, and what that looks like in our passage today. So let's pray, and then let's dive in. God, thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word, which guides us and directs us and speaks to us. And we bring you our real lives this morning, God. We need you. And we ask that you would intervene into our life and situations. We ask that you would meet us in our, in our greatest need, God. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach so that each one of us could hear from you. We believe that something happens when your word is read and taught, God. We believe that we're changed. We believe that we get to know you more. We believe that that's still happening today. So speak to us, God, as we, as we go through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we read about the King of Kings, Jesus. We read about how he is supreme in creation and how he's supreme in redemption. And then this week we read how Paul, and he's encouraging the Colossians, how they now share the message of this king, how they share that in real life, in real happenings, in real situations. And we first see in verse 24, we see that grown-up relationships involve suffering with Christ, right? I really hooked you guys now, right? You're like, okay, I'm all in. I want to listen now. But, but grown-up relationships uh, involve suffering with Christ. And so verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So looking at verse 24 there, it says, uh, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So Paul doesn't say that he rejoices in spite of his suffering. So even though I'm suffering, I'm rejoicing. But he, what he actually says, he's, he's, he's rejoicing in them. He's rejoicing right in the midst of his sufferings for them. And so you look at this and you say, wow, this is odd, isn't it? Isn't it odd? I mean, I know there's some familiarity with this passage, familiarity with, with that if you follow Jesus, he's one that suffered. Jesus said that if you follow me, you'll suffer. And we, we like to put it into a religious category, but it really has to do with a life. A.W. Tozer uh, wrote this. He says, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen. And there's a, there's a slide for that. Um, uh, he feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks familiar, familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, and gives away so he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. And so this morning, if you're here and you're seeking after and wanting to know Jesus or, or trying to figure out what it's like to follow Jesus, it's odd. It just is when you look at it right there. But it's truth. It's where life is. And so think of the oddness of Paul. He doesn't rejoice after the trials are done either. Right? Boy, I have rejoiced because the trials that I had are over, but he rejoices right smack dab in them. Uh, it really had to do with his, his apostleship. If you know the story, you can read in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul's whole life was changed when Jesus intervened in his life. And, and much like many of you, you wander around normal life, you're going about it, and, and Jesus happens. And so, but with Paul, Paul was uh, violently going after the first followers of Jesus, and he was trying to push down the growth of this new sect uh, of people that was claiming that Jesus was God and that he resurrected from the dead. And he was trying to protect what he had been sown into and built over his whole life. 
And he, he saw that he was helping God. And yet Jesus came one day and knocked him off his horse. And, and he said to him, uh, he said through this process, and he was blind for a time and went to a place, but he spoke to a man that was to go pray for him. He says, I, I want you to go pray for him, and he'll be healed of this blindness, but I will show him how much he must suffer for me. That was part of Paul's calling as an apostle, is that he would suffer certain things for God. In verse, the next part of verse 24, it says, Paul says that I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. So Paul's not referring to Christ's um, uh, redeeming work, okay? So he's not saying, like, Christ didn't finish redeeming people. That's one thing we talked about last week and the week before is that Christ finished it. It's done. It's absolutely done. People have been redeemed. If anyone wants to know God, everything's been taken care of. Nothing else needs to be done. But what he is talking about is he's talking about um, Paul's living knowledge of Christ. He's talking about how he can know him. And, and really, he's saying that this is my response to Jesus. My response to Jesus and who he is is that, is that I would join in the sufferings of Christ. Right? It's, written, it's written somewhere else in the New Testament as well that you know, in view of God's mercy, and, and, and now that we've seen God's mercy, submit yourselves as living sacrifices. Right? So if, you, if you're a sacrifice, then you sacrifice things. I was thinking about this message today, and, or last night, and I walked out of my door to walk to the mailbox, and it's down the street. And, and so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, well, okay, sacrifice, and what, what does that look like? And it can't be a religious thing, just like, we talk about it, we know it, but it has to hit street level. And so I'm, I'm walking down the street, and I see my two neighbors, or, or two men at my neighbor's house, and, and they've got this couch, like, halfway in the door and out, and it's leaning on the thing. And, 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 and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'll tell them that, that, that it has to do with, like, inconveniences in your schedule and inconveniences in your life, and, and things just come about. So I just walked by and said, hope you guys get it. No, that's not what I did. No, I, I, like, like, I entered right in and I said, hey, do you need help? And they're like, well, we just think that we need to just figure out the right angle. I'm like, you need more help than that. You guys are hurting. They've been, I think they were working like 15, 20 minutes. And so we, we did it and worked it out and got it in. And, and, and right, that's a small picture of that. And I don't say that to puff, uh, puff myself up, but what it was is the Lord saying, okay, great, here you go. That, that's what it is. It's just, that's a little bit of it, right? Uh, and some of you are saying, I can do this thing, right? It's like, I do that kind of stuff. I help people. And so what Paul's saying is, is that his response is that he would fill up in his flesh some of this suffering. Um, you know, a lot of people view pain and suffering today as, um, as just a horrible thing, right? Because we have fight or flight mechanisms in our bodies. And, and when we experience something, we tell ourselves a story, and that story says, this is off. This isn't right. Run away from this. Do something. Uh, there's books like, why, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and, we, and we look at those things. Uh, but this passage isn't really about that. It's not about uh, suffering in the sense of this horrible thing happened. But it's, it's about uh, what I will choose to suffer in. In response to what Jesus has done for me. What I will choose to go without in response to what Jesus has done for me. See, Paul was all about um, not just talking about the kingdom, but willingly suffering for the gospel, willingly suffering 
for the kingdom of God. And so, so that's what this is talking about. He's not talking about like these horrible things are happening, but he's saying, I'm choosing to live in such a way that I will go without certain things when I see that I can leverage doing something else or going without so that it would further this great message of Jesus. Because that's what we see Jesus do, right? I mean, everything we read about him is we see that he, he was the highest, that, you know, we read in Philippians how, you know, he, he, he you know, the son was with the father and, and yet he decided to come and become one of us. We, we read in the first chapter of John how, how Jesus became flesh, how God became flesh. He became one of us. So he, he laid aside so much so that we might know God. And so it will not be any different for you and I if we now hop in this stream of the redemption of humankind and the redemption of people, you and I too will now lay, lay down things. And uh, John Wimber, who, uh, you know, who really established the vineyard, there were some people meeting, some small groups and things. They were Calvary Chapel small groups. But then John Wimber really solidified this movement, this association of churches, vineyard churches, uh, in the 70s and early 80s. And uh, he, if you ever watch his testimony, we'll, we'll probably play it one time. Uh, and it, it's excellent. It's, it's wonderful. But he talks about how uh, he ended up talking about his journey. And he ended up saying this. He said, you know, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? Right? We're, we're a fool for, for something in life. Right? Uh, you know, some people, you see them on TV. And forgive me if anybody does this here for the Chiefs or whoever. But, you know, they paint themselves. Like, I've always wondered, how do you get that off? I mean, you're there in all of your glory, and that's pretty impressive, but how do you get that off of yourself, right? But you're, you're a fool for that. Like, you're just all in for that. It doesn't matter for anything else. And so Wimber said, you know, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? And, and if we choose to suffer for something in the West, you know, for, for the most part, it's not, you know, death or it's not, um, you know, uh, physical harm, but it is, it is an awkwardness, isn't it? It is an awkwardness if you choose to suffer for Christ. You, you choose to give up things. You choose to serve and love in a different way. You choose to not get back at somebody at work. You know, somebody at work does something to you that kind of undermines you and, and is self-serving to them. And, and how you respond says everything. How you respond says everything in that moment. That's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Because you look at the deeper, greater relationship in what God can do in the life of another person instead of getting revenge or instead of trying to make them look bad and, and, and not you. And I'm not saying be a doormat, so, so hear me on that. But there's something there um, that Paul does and that we can do as well. So Paul really decided that uh, he would join Jesus in living for something that's worth dying for, right? I mean, you want to feel really alive? Live for the gospel of the kingdom, you don't feel really alive, just, just dive right in and say, okay, God, I'm in. What are you doing? Like, like my neighbors, right? I, within, within two minutes, I'm in the thing. I wanted to leave, okay? Because I'm like, they don't have a plan. This is really heavy. It was a sofa bed, right? And there's a railing you got to get over, and I, I'm in it. They, I, now I'm sweating. Now I'm looking bad, and I'm hoping for another neighbor to come along to help us too, Right? But it's like, I'm in it. I'm, I'm, my muscles are straining, and, and I'm trying to figure out the thing. So it is with the kingdom of God. 
that we should sense that we're a part of, that we should, should be in it, and we should be, things will also um, not always go the way we want them to because we're choosing things differently. In verse 25, it says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So look at verse 25 where it says, I have become its servant by the commission of God. What is he talking about? Well, reference back to verse 24, he's talking about being the servant of the church. He's talking about being the servant of the body of Christ. He's talking about being a servant of the bride of Christ. Isn't that interesting? I think that we have it a little off today. I I think that we get this wrong sometimes in our thinking, is that we think that the church is there for us. But in reality, what the New Testament teaches is that the church, this people of God, the body of Jesus, the bride of Jesus, that we are a part of it. But the church doesn't exist for the individual member, but the individual member exists for the church. And so it's just a thing of, I'm not going to ever get everything out I, that I can out of the church, because I should get something out of the church, Absolutely. I should get acceptance. I should get love. I should get encouragement. I should get equipping. I should get healing. Absolutely, all of that. But I will never get all of that, even if I just position myself, let me have it. Because spiritual maturity happens in the midst of it. So I exist for you. And you exist for everyone else. That's the church. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I have become the servant by the commission of God. And so would you say that Paul had a blessed life? Would you say that he had a hard life, right? He shipwrecked and got bit by a snake and all kinds of stuff. But I mean, would you say that Paul didn't live? No way. I mean, and that's what we really want, right? We all want the good life. Every philosophy, every religion, every way of thinking throughout the earth, they try to figure out what is the good life. And then after that, they try to figure out, then what's the best life after that in the the hereafter? How do we get there? What's the best path of those things? But Paul, you look at people like Paul and you say, did this guy live a good life? Did he have the good life? Absolutely. He was fully alive. I mean, I'll even quote one of the greatest theologians that that I know of, uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Uh, He says, right? He says, he says, "All all, um, all men die, but not all men really live. Right? But Paul, because he says, and he was one that made him a servant of the body of Christ. But it's just not the apostles that do that. It's just not the pastors who do that or the missionaries. But that's every single person that chooses to follow Jesus. And if you choose to do that, because I know some of you are like, all right, I'm in. I'll suffer a little bit. I'll do a little bit of suffering. Guess what? It's choosing to be a servant of the church. And here's what I'll tell you, is that if you choose to be a servant of the church and serve the church, the stuff you've been wanting to happen within the body of Christ, the the life, that all those things, you'll start noticing that you receive more. Deeper relationships, deeper healing, deeper meaning to your life. That's what we see in Paul as well. In verse 26, uh, or no, I wanted to say this. Uh, This really struck me. Uh, I, um, uh, I met, I met, an 88-year-old woman last night and uh, talked with her some. She's been a part of the same church 
And I, I, I gave this to her, but she said, no, there was a couple times where I left for a little bit for different things. But she's been a part of the same church for 88 years, people. And the church has been around for 180 years. And as I sat there and she said, she said, I feel bad sometimes because I can't do as much as I used to. And then, and then they say, right, but, but people do more because they know that you're watching, right? I mean, isn't that awesome? And I, and I sat there and my wife and I left after talking to this just wonderful woman. And we just sat there and she just, she just oozed Jesus. She was somebody that you could tell accepted people and loved people and just, just served faithfully. That was just a life change. It said, I'm going to serve the church. I'm going to serve Jesus. In verse 26, it says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So this mystery uh, is Paul's playing on words. There was false teachers that were doing things to move them away from the true gospel. And it was kind of this idea that there uh, there was this elitist spirituality that only certain people and certain Christians could have. And it was mixed into their teaching. So Paul's using some of that language. He's like saying, hey, let me share with you the real mystery. Here's the real mystery. That's not even the real mystery. Is that in the Old Testament, the mystery is revealed to the wise. Right? That's why you see throughout the Old Testament, you see judges and you see prophets and you see kings. And you see certain people that God's really interacting with. But in the New Testament, the mystery is revealed to the Lord's people. So he refers to all believers. So all people get the mystery. Okay, everyone is equal. So regardless of race, class, gender, intellect, past virtue, or age, everyone may apprehend this. It doesn't matter how, how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, you can apprehend the greatest mystery of all. And, and here, here, here's what it is in verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in me changes what holy ground is, right? It used to be that, you know, you had to go for the certain feasts, you had to go to Jerusalem to the temple, right? And even today, well, if, you know, if, if I'm going to go to church, I, if I'm going to have church or holy ground, I got to go to church, be with the people. Absolutely. But this place becomes holy because we're here. That's how Jesus changed things. And so holy ground is now because Christ lives in me. I'm the sanctuary. You're the sanctuary. Because God takes up residence in you. Uh, a different way to understand this is, growing up, my, one of my grandfathers was, uh, was a watercolor artist in New Mexico. And excellent, very good, and, and just amazing stuff. And his studio, to me as a kid, because I didn't, I didn't go to church until before I was 15, so it was, that was holy ground. There was just something just wonderful about his studio. And he smoked a pipe and, and just, you know, he'd draw things and paint. And just, I just remember seeing his little boy like, wow. And, you know, he'd teach me how to draw and paint and just the, just the smell. Not overwhelming, but just this kind of just this, it was just so good. And they, they lived where it was cold, so we'd wear sweaters. And, but I'd walk into a studio and I always had to knock. And it was just, it was holy ground to me in my mind. And uh, much later, they still, they, they live in Palm Springs now, but... Uh, they moved to a home there. That's the second home that I knew um, of them. And he created a studio there. And I thought it was that room. But now this room, and, I, and I'm, I'm an adult in my 30s at this point. I'm like, wow, there's another place. And it wasn't, it wasn't because 
that room in New Mexico in that house. And it wasn't this room that he found another one that, that that could be holy, but it was because it became what he purposed it for. Which was where creativity was and beauty was created and, and life happened and it was amazing because it functioned as he created it for. And so with you and I. When we function as the purpose that God has for us, we too are that holy ground. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day thought that, you know, because of their adoption, you know, that adoption of sons, the divine glory, the, the covenant, and the receiving of the law and the promises, they believed that it just had to do with Israel. They believed it just had to do with them and, and, and no one else. And they thought that Jesus primarily had come to restore glory to Israel. They thought that when the Messiah would come, they would kick the Romans or anybody that was over them out, and then they would just restore Israel's glory forever. They didn't really think much about the other people. And that's why when uh, you know, Paul speaks of this mystery, the mystery is, is that God sharing his gospel and his goodness and his life with the Gentiles wasn't plan B because the Jews rejected the gospel. That was his plan all along. He chose the Jews to be his people that he would work through to bring salvation to the world, right? But they forgot that to the world part. And we can, we can sometimes function that way. We can kind of sometimes think that way, that like this thing we have with God, this life we have with God, that, that it, it's about us. And then when there's groups that we don't agree with or people that do things that we don't agree with or people that are worse than us or bad or whatever or different than us, we, we can all of a sudden think that that doesn't have to do with them. And so we have to understand the vision that Jesus had for then is still today. It's absolutely still today. It's just not for them. So like for us, we have to not just, and, and here's the equivalent, make, make it more clear. So like we need to not just have a vision for our church. What, what do we want to do as a church? We've got all kinds of stuff. We're working on all kinds of things, okay? We got this 90-day plan. We're fixing, th getting things stable, doing all kinds of stuff. But guess what? That's not for us. It's to make more room for more people. It's to make room for God. And, and it's to make room for our community. It's to join that. See, we have to have a vision for our city, Right? See, here's, we all love if God answers prayers. We absolutely love if God answers prayers. Like, I mean, isn't it amazing when you pray something and it's like, yes, look, that, that's amazing. And it's almost, you're kind of like, oh, you are who you say you are, God. That's you, right? Here's the thing. God loves to answer prayers with the content. Like if we're praying for content or substance, that is bigger than our vessel. So if I pray for something that is way too much for me, it's like my boys, they're, they're growing boys, they're hungry. And so without fail, uh, many times as they get to right about 10 or 11 or so, they just start putting way too much food on their plate because they see their older brother like, I need that, right? And they can't do it. But then at a certain point, they can do it. But it's like putting way too much food on your plate and then what we do is it's on the plate, you gotta dole it out to everybody else. 
so that we would have that prayer and that mindset with God, that our prayers would just not be like meeting our basic needs. Jesus said, look, you have everything you need. Before you even pray something, the Father knows what you need and he has it for you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about those things. And yet, I've found when my vision is small, my whole prayer life becomes about those things. And the Lord's like, I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. But then when it's like, we expand, and now all of a sudden there would be something that he would pour out, something that he would do, something that he would give that I just could not contain, that it would just be like pouring into a pitcher, being poured out in overflow to everything around it. Now he's like, all right, let's do it. God loves to answer those prayers. That's why we need a vision for our city. We can't stop at these doors. We can't say, God, would you do this in our church? Pray for our church, absolutely. Pray for each other, absolutely. But let's, let's pray that God would do something in us for our city. I, um, when I think of that, I think of uh, a guy named Jim Drake, Kalina uh, De Luz. He, uh, he's the director at this amazing orphanage uh, in Tijuana. And, and when I was a youth pastor, we'd take kids down there. And uh, we, without fail, every time we, we would caravan and we'd have a bunch of vans lined up. And without fail, one van would take the wrong roundabout. If you've ever driven to Tijuana, it is an experience. I mean, you don't need to go to Disneyland. You need to go to Knott's Berry Farm. You just go to Tijuana and just go. So without fail, that would happen. And, and, uh, and we'd all get there okay at the end of the day. But, but Jim's story is pretty amazing. And we spent a lot. Every year we'd go down there and work and help and, and stuff. But he goes through his story. He has a book uh, that he goes through this. But... I just think of him, and it's just, you go there, it's so clean a day loose, so uh, light, you know, light on a hill, city, right? City on a hill, okay? Uh, and a city of light. And you go there, and you just see these lives changed. And he's been there long enough that now the, the, the orphans that were there now have come back to serve and, and work there and help the other kids. And now, I mean, it's just this amazing thing, and they're, they're adopting, it, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Like, if you want to know, like, see heaven on earth, like, kingdom come, like, if things could be the way God wanted them to be, where things are changed, Kalina De Luz, absolutely amazing. But Jim had to suffer a whole lot for that. He had to be poured out for that. There's a process that he lays out. It wasn't just this, yeah, let's go, it'll happen. No, when he went there, the, he talks about how the, the, you know, the, the orphanage was there, but it was, it was, it was run in a different way, and, and, and people, the kids weren't being cared for, and, and you know, toilets overflowing, it hadn't been flushed in years, and just all this horrible stuff, and yet the kids had to use them. And, and so over time, they started cleaning up, and they were searching for a director, right? And so they brought one guy in, brought another person in, and all the while, God was like, it's you, it's you, it's you. And now, you know, 30, 40 years later, Jim and his wife just poured themselves out into that. And they not only have children that they've poured into, that, that lives have been changed that they've poured into, but now grandchildren in that. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. The, the, the next thing is that we see is that grown-up relationships are a result of partnering with Christ. In verse 28, it says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So much of what Paul's speaking about has to do with the question is, uh, who's spiritually mature? Right? So who is spiritually mature? A lot of times we equate it to time, you know, like, re- you know, religiousness or religious activity or uh, Bible knowledge or different things. Uh, but I've met some five- or six-year-olds in the kingdom that are more spiritually mature than people that have been in the church for 30, 40 years, right? Now, they haven't been tested as much as maybe that person over 30, 40 years, right? They haven't had things happen to them as much, so I understand. But just that innocence of getting it, that spiritual maturity of of what it is, um, it doesn't have to do with age or, or time put in necessarily. Time is definitely good, but it doesn't have to do with that necessarily. So Paul is speaking of someone that um, is mature in Christ. And, and it's, it's not a complicated system uh, that must be navigated to be mature spiritually. It, it's just in Christ, being in him, right? That's why, um, although it can be abused or miscommunicated, when you invite someone to know Christ, it's, it's like we see in Scripture. Andrew grabs Peter, his brother. He says he brought him to Christ. He met Christ, and then he brought him to Christ. And there's an amazing thing that happens, which is Christ changes people and works in people. It's not a straight line whatsoever, but he works in us. Mature, perfect, um, doesn't have to do with perfection. Like when it says perfect here, or fully mature, uh, it has to do with that person functioning within their purpose. So... Everybody has a purpose. Like this TV here has a purpose, and it's, it's doing it, right? That's is to communicate images that you put into it. And so how much more are you? How much more I? That we have a purpose that we function in in life. And sometimes we're already doing it, but we have to put that meaning in it that we're partnering with Jesus in that. It's like, oh, this is, this is what you're doing, and I'm joining you, and, and it brings different meaning in our lives. In verse 29, it says, this is not something we can, um, it says, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So notice that it's not, it's not our energy that makes it happen. That's why spiritual maturity is not based upon time or, or age, but it's, it's allowing Christ to work in me. It's his energy that makes it happen. That, so Paul, the, the, really the one that established the church, Jesus started the church and then Paul established it He's saying, I mean, he planted churches all over the place, but spiritual maturity, he's saying, it doesn't happen by me going and doing all this. It happens by Christ working in you and his power that's working in me. Next, we see grown-up relationships are rooted in Jesus. So verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all the, who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. And so if you look at verse 2 there at the, at the end, um, knowing Christ is the goal. If you want to know the goal of Christian spirituality, right? There's all kinds of, everybody today 
is spiritual and does different things. But if you want to know the goal of Christian spirituality, it's to know Christ. That's, that's the goal, is to know him. Uh, well, what happens, ha- what happens in Christ is that in verse 3 it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs speaks of that. The beginning of, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. Right? So we can have all kinds of wisdom and all kinds of knowledge, but if we don't recognize and give God his proper place in our lives, then it's, it's really not. Because we can't use that knowledge. We can't, we, we can't, I mean, men, have you ever grabbed a power tool and thought you know what you were doing? But you really didn't know how it operated and worked? Have you ever used an auger? You know what an auger is? Drills holes? Friend and I, we read step one of the directions. They went bad. Okay? You gotta, you gotta understand you know, who it is you're working with. You understand who Christ is. In verse 6, it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So where it's, this really has to do with continuing to live your lives in him. If you look at verse 7, where it says rooted, uh, so think of roots. Roots are powerful. I mean, how many times roots cause problems? Like, it doesn't matter what's around them. If, you know, you try to put concrete over it and the roots grow, they're solid. They're built in. If you ever tried to rip anything out, you know, like a tree or whether it's small or large, you ever been shocked that there's this little plant and it's so difficult to get out because of the roots. And so be rooted. Uh, And then also, too, verse 7, built up. Uh, So we're still under construction. Is that okay? Like, can I still be under construction? Is that good with you guys? I'm, I'm totally good with you guys being under construction. Is that good? We'll just walk around. Maybe that's the shirt we should have for the thing, under construction. You know, if you are too, come join us, right? No perfect people. You know, no one's arrived. That's where we're headed, but we know it's going to take a while. We know it's going to happen with Jesus. And then also too, strengthened in the faith. So, um, being strengthened in what you already have. Here's the interesting thing about these words, rooted, built up, strengthened. So these, these are all in the passive voice in the original language. And so what that means is, is that it means that it's something done to us rather than something we do. So when Paul writes this here, we can't root, we can't build up, we can't strengthen, but it's something that God does to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that he doesn't just say, follow me, now get it right. Here, I give you eternal life. You see what you do with it. But no, he's working in us and through us. But then what's interesting next is that the latter part of verse 7, it says, overflowing with thankfulness. That's in the active voice. So you say, well, that's cool that he's doing that, but I want to help out. It's, it's like being invited over for dessert or dinner. You're like, what can I bring? What can I bring to it? He tells us our part is to overflow with thankfulness. Overflow with thankfulness. But even with that, you guys, it's not, you know, you can say like, okay, I got it. This week, overflow with thankfulness. I'm going to do it. Right? I mean, as Westerners, we are amazing. Like, we can get stuff done, can't we? We can work hard. We can, we can do that. But if we apply that to our spirituality with Jesus, it can be devastating. Because a lot of times we can f- fight against God, 
instead of with him. When I was helping those guys move that couch in, uh, there was three of us, and we had the plan, but I'm over here in the middle, and I'm kind of, you guys do this, I'll do this, and I'm watching, and, and he's doing, turning it this way, and he's turning it this way. Like, this isn't happening, so let's set it down. And let's get it right. And so, you know, I don't know. Maybe some of we may be doing that today. You may be like, you may be trying to, to do the, the part that God does. You may be trying to root and build and strengthen. Maybe you're, you're doing that. And you say, well, wait a minute. How does that happen? Well, I receive. I receive from him. I, I, I'm just of the understanding that that's the greatest thing that God wants for us is to receive from him. Just, and you say, well, how? Like this, just receive, right? We, um, we, we were at something last night and where I talked to this woman and, and uh, we came in and said, well, you know, this over here and this over here, if you need this, and, and we just received. That's how God is. And where we get in trouble is where we try to do it ourselves or where we try to order it up, right? Because it's indirect. What you want to happen in your life and what you want to change in you and the transformation that you want, the, the different parent that you want to be and the different you know, soldier you want to be and the different contractor you want to be and the different employee you want to be and the, 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 you know, the person that makes more money and the person that uh, is a better spouse and the, or the person that becomes a spouse or those things. You want all that. I want all that. But God accomplishes that through his work in us. And that's just receiving. And the way that we can tell that it's happening, right, because you want to know is it happening? The way that we can tell it's happening is, is that are we overflowing with thankfulness? It's not I'm just going to decide to be thankful because it's, it's not just this like positive thought thing. So even that, I choose and I partner with it, but that's the result of it. Right? We partner with it. So what if, what if we just, we're just a bunch of people who just, we just receive, right? Didn't show up like, you know, hey, God, I got this for you. Hey, God, aren't you impressed by this? Or, hey, God, you know, just, you know, like I saw this thing once that said, uh, it said, what if God just wanted us to say thank you as far as what he's looking for us? What if we became a bunch of people that just said, yeah, you know what? We want all that God has. We want all of his love. Give me more love, God. Give me more healing, God. Give me more peace, God. Right? Give me more power. Not for me, but to transform the world. And give me so much that it just overflows into my neighborhood, into my street. Give me so much that just, that, that everybody around me he's able to receive more too and say thank you. What if, what if we became people like that? What if we took the pressure of our, ourselves to, to be spiritual giants and to, 
you know, to know everything or to, to have everything right? What if we just said, so what's following Jesus like? Oh, man, it's great. I just, he loves me and I receive it. And I, I'm being changed. I can tell. I want some of that. That's really New Testament spirituality, New Testament Christianity. We get in trouble when we try to make it a system. We try to work it. Yeah. So let's, let's stand together and let's pray. And uh, we'll have the worship team come up and with a song here.